Welcome to Indoor Voices, presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Join us as we explore the great indoors and talk to experts about how to improve our indoor environments. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of Indoor Voices. If you have watched the episodes previously, thank you. Today, I think we're going to have a real special treat. We've got Dan Shuffleton with us. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. I think um, from all of your information that you give us about carpet on LinkedIn, um, I think this is going to be interesting. So we're going to draw out a little bit more of who you are, though, because I want people to know more about Dan Shuffleton than just what they see on LinkedIn. So could you give our viewers a little bit on your work history? Strap in your seatbelt uh, because uh, it's a wild ride. Um, um, I uh, My work history started, shoot, I don't know, when I was three or four years old. Uh, we lived next to a um, uh, like an auto body shop. And me, three-year-old me, would walk over there and like hang out with all like the auto mechanic repair guys. So the owner of the company, uh, he would he would pay me to vacuum out all the cars uh, after like after they had a new door or hood or after they've been in a crash, and I got to keep all the change that was on the floor. That was my very first job at PSG uh, PSG I think PSG Collision. It's in Fort Laramie, Ohio. But I've done a ton of things. Uh, I've been a landscaper. I've been uh, a brewmaster in a brewery. Um, I've worked a lot in like retail. I used to work in the ski industry, managing retail ski shops. Uh, I used to be, I guess I still am. I'm, I'm an actor. Um, I do voiceover work. I do acting work. I do all kinds of wacky stuff. Uh, I'm a semi-professional skier. I'm not sure if you know that. Um, I do ski resort reviews all over the country. Uh, but most uh, importantly, I sell finished flooring. Uh, and it sounds uh, cheesy and hokey, but I actually love it. I love, love, love what I do. I think you also have a little bit of installation, carpet installation in your background as well. I started off um, as a flooring contractor um, where, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and I re-end everything in the show from uh, cutting carpet in the morning to going out to jobs, project managing jobs, estimating. Um, I would do quotes. I would sell. I would um, run the payroll to pay the installers and order material and close out jobs. Uh, I worked for a very small uh, flooring division within a larger company. So uh, myself and another guy, we really ran the entire show. So, you know, a lot of people come in and they, you know, I feel like I, I know the more technical aspects of carpeting. I know what it's like to pick up carpet uh, and find asbestos tile underneath. I know what it's like to have various problems uh, with your subfloor or with your existing flooring. Um, which makes my uh, position really unique because a lot of sales reps, I feel like, come from the interior design side of the business. So they can put together beautiful pallets and put together beautiful uh, carpets and floorscapes. Um, and I am working on getting, uh, I'm working on excelling at that. Uh, but I'm the type of guy who to call when you pull up a floor and say, uh-oh, I didn't anticipate this problem. What do I do? Because I don't know what's going on here. Uh, there's a chance I've seen it and I can help with that. Great. That's awesome. Um, so I think we can have a nice full conversation today. So when it comes to carpet, right, you've been in the industry a while. I've been in the industry for a while. Um, I'm going to start with a broad question, right? Um, could you give us maybe like a brief history, like on, on carpet, right? Specifically as it relates to like maybe tufting and, and dying, right? You've been in the industry for a while and so have I. What do, what do you think? So uh, I work in the uh, commercial segment. And what you see out of the commercial segment, almost 90 to 95% of the time, they uh, we're, we're, using carp we're using carpet tiles. We're not using the broad, uh, the broad loom, the roll carpet, like we would use in our houses. 
Um, there are many reasons uh, why, why we're going that way. And carpet tiles kind of came around, you know, 20 years ago or so. And the first couple of years they came out, you know, uh, they weren't exactly as technically savvy as they are today. So you have a lot of people out there who are just against carpet tiles because they tried them 20 years ago. They had a failure. They had issues with them and they you know, don't want to try them again. But, you know, carpet tiles you see in the commercial world because, A, they're removable and they're replaceable. Um, easily by anybody. It's a releasable adhesive you use with carpet tile. So anybody can pull up a piece of carpet tile, put down a new one from your attic sock, boom. Um, you know, if you have a stain that won't come out or if you spill bleach on it, something like that, you can easily um, repair that section. You don't need to call an expert. Um, also, if you want to replace some of it, if you have a broadloom carpet, that's wall to wall. You have to take everything out of that room to replace it. If you have carpet tile, you can move all that stuff to one side of the room, replace that half, remove all stuff to the other side of the room, replace that half. It's much easier. It's much more economical. And you have a lot less waste than you do with a 12 foot long broadloom uh, carpet roll. Any like innovations as far as dyeing carpets concerned? So as far as uh, carpet dyeing, there are innovations that are um, starting to be that there are innovations that are used by certain companies uh, that can allow you to do really, really cool things. So the majority of carpet you find out there is your traditional solution dyed nylon, where you take the different colors of nylon, you put it in um, the tufting machine, uh, it loops, it tufts, and you have a carpet tile. That's why you see a lot of commercial carpet tiles, and they all kind of look the same. You have that linear look. Everybody has that because everybody makes their carpet the exact same way. Uh, I work for Millican Floor Covering. We make about 50% of our carpet that way with solution dyed nylon. The other 50% of our carpet, we use a print work system. Essentially, um, we take the dyeing step of the carpet and put move that from to the last, very last thing that we do. So we will start off with these, you know, white uh, carpet tiles and we feed it through these machines. We have uh, two of them. We are uh, almost completed with a third um, state-of-the-art dyeing machine. And these things are huge. These things are like 70 yards long. And think of it, it's kind of like, uh, in layman's terms, it's kind of like a giant printer. So you put this white, you know, piece of carpet in, it'll shoot, you know, this dye into your carpet, and you can essentially make whatever you want on a piece of carpet tile. Brian, I'm sure you have a smartphone, right? Uh, with your smartphone, the technology with smartphones is so advanced these days, and they it takes such good pictures that I can take any photo off of your smartphone, and I can put it on a piece of carpet. Uh, but I have an example here, if you don't mind, if you would, if you would humor me. So um, when I was new to the industry, I wanted something that uh, would really showcase our capabilities of what we can do with our Printworks dyeing machine. And I also wanted something that people would never, ever, ever forget me. So I took one of my old Hollywood acting headshots and I put it on a piece of carpet. Dude, this is great. carpet. There are 2,482 different shades of dye used to make this. And we can make this like that minimum quantity of like one. Like it's amazing. And I think having your face on a piece of carpet is absolutely awesome. It's, it's just not practical. So but what use would there be for, for something like that? The biggest benefit that I have found, and I didn't even know this before I started work, working for Millican, but the biggest benefit about a printed carpet is the ability to reproduce it. So here's a perfect story. So I got a call in the fall 
from a facility that is here in downtown Columbus. And so I, w- I went down and I met with these two facility guys and they said, Dan, we have milk and carpet in our entire building. We love it and we maintain it. We clean it. We vacuum it. We, we do as we should, as you should with carpet. I mean, you change your oil in your car, right? Clean your carpets, people. I can't, I can't stress that enough. I don't even sell vacuums. That's a joke. Um, so anyway, they said, hey, this carpet is 23 years old. And it looks great. And we want to get another 10 to 15 years out of it. But they said, but we're out of attic stock. We've had to replace, you know, some stuff here or there, whether someone, you know, spills something on it that we can't get up, whether, you know, you know, where the, where the biggest one is, it's under, it's under where people sit at work. So Brian, let's say you're 170 pounds, right? You're sitting on a chair. And so your 170 pounds is now spread out between five small casters on your chairs. That is a lot of pressure. It's a lot of weight in five small, you know, two by two spaces. So that really takes its toll on anybody's carpet, including a cushion back carpet. So, so, you know, we've been using our attic stock to replace the carpet like under people's chairs and cubicles, and we're out of it. So this carpet is 23 years old. Um, needless to say, we don't make that. It's not a standard running line uh, that we had in 1998 uh, that we have now. Um, so I said, hey, guys, uh, the bad news is this isn't a running line carpet. The good news is I can remake this because it's a printed carpet tile. I said, hey, I tell you what, do me a favor. Get, I, can I have a piece of this carpet? Physically, I want a piece of it. I'm going to take it up. I'm going to take it with me. So we said, they said, yeah, great. So we go over to like an, an office that was unoccupied, take a piece of carpet. I took that piece of carpet and I sent it down to our mill at Milliken. And Milliken was, took a look at it and was able to, to figure out what the carpet was and what the color was and reproduce it. So I was really excited. So I brought this to downtown Columbus. So I took this carpet and I put it on the ground. And it was, the color was bolder than the carpet on the ground. You know, the carpet that they had been used, the 23-year-old carpet, uh, number one, it was in a corridor, so it was subject to the sun. Um, number two, they may or may not have used uh, some sort of cleaning chemical or cleaning agent on the carpet, but uh, it was just a little lighter in tint, um, the 23-year-old carpet from the brand new carpet. They said, Dan, you're spot on with the design and the colors. However, the carpet that you made us, the colors are a little bit bolder. It's not an exact match. So I said, okay, guys, humor me. I'll come back in a week. Give me one more week. I'll come back in a week. So I took the carpet back. And I called up uh, my, my design guy at Milliken. He's awesome. There's, we have a ton of them, but I have one main guy that I use. I love him. Uh, I said, hey, Tim, um, I want to lighten the tint of this carpet. He's like, he says, okay, I can do that. A week later, I got the carpet. I went down to this place downtown, slapped the new carpet on the floor. It was an exact match. So not only can our print system reproduce carpet from 10, 20, 30 years ago, I can also adjust that carpet to essentially age it. So I can adjust the carpet's tint to hit an exact match on carpet that's 23 years old. I guarantee you no one in the industry can do that flat out. So. Uh, you know, a lot of people out there are down on uh, printed carpet tile. They think it doesn't last as long. They think, uh, oh, it, you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't hold up as well as solution dyed nylon. Uh, actually, it does, uh, because the most important thing is your backing. Um, and number two, uh, I can reproduce it, whereas a solution dyed nylon, you can't reproduce that stuff. 
you can't with solution die dialing, you have to worry about die lots. So here's another one that I'm I'm actually working on. I have um, a project that's 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 large, and one of the stipulations is hey, all of this carpet has to be the exact same die lot. When I talk about die lots, it refers to solution dyed nylon. So with solution with solution dyed nylon, they take the carpet fiber, it's not tufted or, or just the string, right? Just the fibers, and they put it into a giant dye bath, right? And that dyes it tan, gray, red, blue, whatever color you want. And they dye this thing, and then they ship it to the then the uh, fiber mill ship it to the major manufacturers. The manufacturers tuft it together, um, but there are limits to that. You can only make around five thousand or fifty five hundred square yards out of one dye lot with a solution dyed nylon. However, um, if we have a printed carpet, I can make however much you want looking the exact same because I am, it's the last step. I'm, I'm using, I'm using dye and I'm printing it as the last step and I'm putting it all the way through. So I can make 20,000, 30,000, 100,000 yards all in one dye lot. Or if you want me to make 20,000 yards right now in five years, I can go make another 20,000 and hit the same dye lot. Well, if you're doing a convention center, that's going to be more than 5,000 yards. You want all the carpet to look the same. Because if it doesn't, it'll show. I guarantee you it'll show. So if we can make all the carpet look the same. Awesome. That just checks that box uh, and gives takes care of people's problems, gives them less worries. Let me switch gears on you just really quickly. Carpet backing seems to be a paramount consideration. Why? A lot of folks will hone in on different facets of the carpet and they'll argue and say, okay, well, we use this type of fiber. It's, it's going to last longer. We use this type of technology. It's going to last longer. Um, and they're not wrong, but there is something uh, that has a higher precedent than anything else uh, with your carpet that will make your carpet last longer. And that is the backing. So, so often you see carpet tile and it has a PVC backing, a plastic backing, vinyl, thermoplastics, some sort of hard non-permeable membrane um, that the carpet is attached to. So um, we have on most carpets, you have your uh, plastic backing and then you have the fibers, right? Just probably similar to the carpet that uh, you're, you're, you're sitting on or standing on right now, you're on right now. So when we have walking rolling traffic on this, we have our hard backing and we have our fibers. So that hard backing, that plastic, that PVC, that's not going anywhere. So those fibers are taking 100% of the abuse from walking, from wheels, from chairs that you're sitting on, um, from rolling traffic, anything. That fiber is taking 100% of that abuse. Whereas if you use a cushion back carpet tile, such as this one, it has a built-in cushion or a shock absorber on it. So we have our fibers, but we also have this cushion backing right underneath it. So when we have walking, rolling traffic, the fibers will compress, but also the cushion will compress as well. I've got uh, installations here. I've got an installation here in Columbus, Ohio, that 2 million people have walked on. And the owners of this carpet in this facility have zero need or zero interest in replacing the carpet because it's not showing wear patterns. It's actually not showing anywhere at all. Uh, it's been down for 20 years, 10 million people a year walk on it, don't need to replace it. So the backing actually lends towards its longevity. Does the backing also play into kind of the whole health and wellness scene, you were saying, when it comes to, uh, to carpet? 
Um, you know, with the attached cushion backing, I have an extra material in that, right? I have the actual cushion. So think about that. Um, we have our carpet fiber and then a cushion underneath that, that is more acoustically beneficial than just carpet with a hard backing. No one's going to argue with you and I that uh, a carpet is more acoustically beneficial than a hard surface product. Carpet absolutely is, has, is, will absorb uh, more sound. If we have carpet with an attached pad, that absorbs 25 to 50% more sound than a hardback carpet tile. Now you might be saying, okay, well, you know, acoustics, great. You know, that, I don't see how that, you know, benefits uh, my wellness or my productivity uh, within my work environment. Well, if we work in a quieter space, we can be more focused at work. Therefore, we can be more productive. Also, when you're standing on top of an attached cushion, it's comfortable. Brian, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if you have one, but you see a ton in the market these days sit stand desks. We want to get away from that sedentary lifestyle. There is um, a phrase out there that says sitting is the new smoking. We don't want to come to work and sit for eight hours a day. Your doctor doesn't want you to sit for eight hours a day. We, we want to stand up. We want to, we want to get that blood flowing. We want to lead a more active lifestyle. Standing uh, versus sitting burns 50 more calories an hour. So if you're trying to lose weight, uh, you know, stand at work rather than sit. I think sitting at work uh, burns 10 calories an hour. Standing while you're working burns 60 calories an hour. So um, if you are standing on a hard surface or carpet with a hard backing, uh, you're, you're essentially standing on, um, you know, something that's not really conducive for your joints. Now me, when I, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age. I'm an old man now. I'm 38. Um, for me, it's my right knee. My right knee is the telltale sign, and that starts hurting first. And it can be anything. It can be your ankles, your knees, your hips, your back. They are all connected. However, if I stand on a cushion back carpet tile, I can stand for longer before my right knee starts hurting, usually about an hour and a half longer uh, than uh, a hard back carpet tile. So, so backing, you've taken us through a ton of things already. So backing ensures longevity. Backing ensures acoustic, uh, acoustics. Backing ensures uh, the, the underfoot comfort. Um, I'm going to pull you in my world a little bit. When we do cleaning, right, we do think about indoor air quality. Does, does the backing of carpet lend to good indoor air quality? Some of it does. Most of it doesn't. So um, let's go back uh, to um, the hardback carpet tile, right? PVC back, thermoplastic, some sort of vinyl backing. That's a non-permeable membrane. So uh, there's something that's uh, prevalent in the construction world where uh, moisture uh, either gets trapped in the concrete in, this, in the subfloor below, or the concrete isn't full in a new building. The concrete isn't fully cured yet. So the moisture isn't all, all the way out of that concrete before the finished flooring is put on top of it. So concrete is made, and when concrete forms, it forms vertical capillaries. That water vapor can come through. Vapor, not actually liquid moisture, but water vapor can come through that concrete. That's how concrete forms. That's part of it, right? So if that moisture barrier is compromised, if that moisture, if the moisture barrier doesn't exist, um, water vapor from the subsoil can come up into your concrete and therefore enter your building that way. If we're putting a non-permeable membrane, such as a carpet tile, VCT, LVT, on top of it, we're essentially suppressing that moisture in between the finished flooring and the concrete. Enough of that moisture comes up and, and stays there, it condenses and then forms a water droplet. Once we have liquid water between our finished flooring 
in our concrete subfloor, that's when things get really, really bad. Uh, not only can it cause a flooring failure, it can cause the adhesive uh, to remain not tacky, so your flooring won't stick to the floor. But if there's a food source, it can grow mold and mildew. Uh, and I don't need to tell you that mold and mildew in your air inside your building is a very, very bad thing. So you've given us a myriad of reasons as to why to put your carpet, put carpet in your building, right? Even Correct. the fact that, listen, I can, I can dye this with so many different colors that I can get almost exactly what I want. However, in some of the new space, you're still seeing so much LVT or DCT or, or, or concrete, polished concrete. Why so much hard surface? You know, you see a lot of hard surface because... People think it is low maintenance. People think, oh, okay, well, I'll just put this uh, polished concrete in, which, which side note, polished concrete will uh, mitigate moisture, um, unlike VCT or uh, an LVT. But they see the VCT. VCT is absolutely the cheapest thing initially that you can install in your building. The cheapest flooring you can initially install. However, the lifetime cost of VCT, because you need to strip it and then you need to re-wax it, twice a year, three times a year, however long, it depends on the building, but you know, you need to strip and wax that VCT. So the actual total cost of ownership for VCT is enormous. Ask any um, facilities person inside of a school system, ask them how many weeks they strip and wax the floor every summer. You, always, you I always get the exact same response. It's a, ugh, cause they hate it. And they have to do it for like six weeks straight on like an average size school. Um, there are products out there, however, that are completely breathable. Um, Milliken's cushion backing uh, is breathable. It's an open cell foam. So uh, what's that mean? An open cell foam means that air can travel through it. So if we have moisture coming up through our subfloor, that water, that moisture vapor gets actually physically gets into the back of our carpet tile, travels to the edge and dissipates out. Uh, so much so that we have not, Milliken has not had a moisture claim in over two decades. I think we've been putting cushion on the back of carpet for 27 years. We've never had a moisture claim. Uh, that's not like us going out and servicing a moisture claim. We've never had someone call us up and say, hey, you need to send your technician out here. We have a moisture claim with your carpet. It's, it's never happened. Um, however, not all cushion on the back of carpet is the same. So um, with my carpet at Milliken, Putting the cushion on is part of the process. It's actually one of the first steps we do is to form that cushion and start putting all the layers of the carpet together. So it's really innate in how our uh, carpet is made. So we use an open cell foam. Every other manufacturer out there will tell you, well, I can put a, I can put a cushion on the back of my carpet. Yeah, I can do that. No sweat. That when they put that um, cushion on the back of their carpet, it is a final stage. It's like the last thing they do. So they take a foam, they spray some adhesive or some glue on it, put it on the back of the carpet tile. They're using a closed cell foam. Remember, I was a flooring contractor. I've worked with everybody's carpet with an attached cushion. Um, and I know it's a closed cell foam. Um, and actually, I have some firsthand experience of this. Uh, my basement here in my house, it doesn't have a moisture barrier underneath it. And like I said, I was a flooring contractor. So when my wife and I first moved it, moved here, uh, you know, I wanted to make, I did like a, a, a half finished basement where I put carpet down and I didn't do the walls or anything, but I hung some stuff up and I made it like my own little space. You're the true carpet guy. That's right. So uh, after baby number three, my wife says, hey, listen, we should really finish that basement because 
we have three kids now, put all their toys down there. Um, we can put them, you know, they, they get to be a spot for them to play. We can have some quiet time. And I'm like, yep, yeah, sounds great. So I go down to my basement and I remember I was a floor contractor and all that carpet uh, was all different. Why? Because it was all samples. Uh, I put a bunch of samples, a bunch of hodgepodge, different colors, different designs. Uh, it was kind of fun, but you know, it wasn't perfect, you know, it wasn't by professional by any means. So I picked up the first carpet tile and it was, that was all hardback, all hardback carpet tile. I picked up the first carpet tile and I looked at the concrete and the concrete was like Brown. It looked like it was a freshly poured concrete. And I thought, wait, that's weird. And then I could, then the smell hit me like that, that, that like musty smell that I would describe as like your grandma's basement. And maybe it's just my grandma had a basement like that, but you walk down there, it's like an old house and you have that musty smell in the basement. That's what I smelled. And then I realized the concrete was, or the, this carpet tile was suppressing that moisture and holding that moisture into the concrete. That's because it was wet. That's why it looked brown. And that's where I was getting that musty smell. And you remember, Brian, I told you that if there is a, if there's a food source, it can grow mold and mildew underneath our finished flooring. Well, that food source, don't, don't think that it has to be food like you and I eat for mold and mildew to grow. Remember how I mentioned there were all samples? Well, every sample from any manufacturer is going to have a label on the back. Tells you what it is, tells you what color it is, tells you the skew, all that business. The paper labels on the backs of the carpet tile was the food source. And all those paper labels that I pulled up were all growing mold underneath them. Millican had come out and said, hey, listen, our carpet's breathable. This is before I worked for Millican. Uh, our carpet's breathable, you know, put it down. If you have moisture issues, you know, it'll, it'll breathe. It'll dissipate them out. So I thought, oh, ding, ding, ding. Awesome. Well, I don't have enough Millican samples to do my entire basement, but I have some other cushion back samples. They must be all the same, right? I was, you know, I, I, I was not enlightened at that point. So I took all my cushion back samples, everything I could get my hands on, I put them down in my basement and I wanted to check on it uh, to make sure they were working. So about a month, six weeks later, I went and started pulling them up to check them out. And that's when I discovered the difference between an open cell foam and a closed cell foam because that closed cell foam, it didn't allow air to come through. Um, so it was, it's just like before, it was suppressing that moisture down. Now, Brian, you might be thinking, what's the difference between, you know, can you explain that open cell foam and closed cell foam idea to me? So, um, Brian, I'm sure you've, uh, done dishes before, right? I hope. Um, so you have a sponge, uh, and you, 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 you do your dishes after dinner and you set that sponge on your sink, uh, and you dishes done, you forget about it. the next morning, uh, you wake up bright and early and you come down and you pick up that sponge. Uh, that sponge has been sitting out on your sink all night. The sponge is dry, right? And the sponge is hard because that is an open cell foam. Air can get through there and that moisture inside that sponge can dissipate out into the, into the atmosphere. It'll seek equilibrium and dissipate out. That is an open cell foam. Air can, air can travel through it. What's a closed cell foam? A uh, perfect example is a Nerf ball. Have you ever played with like a Nerf football in the pool or uh, left your Nerf football out in the rain uh, overnight. You pick that. You pick up that Nerf football, and it's about 15 pounds. And that Nerf football is never the same, and it never dries out. Closed cell foam. We can force uh, the water in there by playing within the pool and squeezing it, um, and just you know playing with the football. The water. We can force the water in, but the water will never ever come out um, because it is a closed cell foam. And then your, your, Nerf, your Nerf football, never the same. Uh, it's the exact same type of thing uh, with these different types of cushion backings uh, that you get from your 
uh, from your flooring manufacturers. It's a real deep dive into <laughs> like carpet backing, which is which is great, which is awesome. But then I'm it a leads full, me to another. I'm question. a full on flooring nerd. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Whenever we got in, but like I'm ready to do it. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's 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 such a it's a very uh, full answer, right? And it, and it yeah. leads me to another question, which is because of the open and closed cell and all the different types of backings, even if it's carpet versus VCT, um, what kind of preparation should go into, or what aspects of the subfloor preparation are essential? I think the first thing you really want to know from what we were just were talking about was uh, the moisture content in the slab. You know, there are different ways uh, that you can test uh, moisture in your slab to kind of know what you're getting into. Um, if you put some floorings, you know, if you have a high moisture slab, you put some floorings down, the, the adhesives uh, won't take uh, to the flooring um, because all adhesives have moisture limits. Uh, they also, here's a, here's a little known fact. Uh, there's also something in floors uh, called pH, right? Or acidity. Um, so you're not going to have, if you have high moisture in your slab, you're also going to have a high pH. They go hand in hand. That's, that's, so you might, there are, there are a ton of companies out there that promote, oh, you know, check out this adhesive. This adhesive goes up to 95% humidity in your slab. Yeah, it goes up to 95% humidity, but the pH level is still super low. So it's one of those kind of tricky ways that a company might say, hey, look, this is a high moisture adhesive. Oh, but, oh, you have a high pH too? Well, this adhesive doesn't cover that. Therefore, boom, uh, we're not warranting it. Um, so you need to... Pay attention to your number one to your moisture limits and also your pH limits uh, as far as your slab. So before I could set some of your passion about like the health and wellness, so I wanted to bring that that uh, aspect back in. Let's um, do it. So so I know the red list is significant in your daily work on carpet, right? So can you explain to our listeners what the red list is? Yes. First off, there are shoot a dozen, maybe twenty. Uh, different, you know, um, sustainability type of things and a health and wellness type of uh, stickers and stamps you can get for any product out there, whether that's your finished flooring, whether that's your desk, your tables, your fabric, whatever. Uh, something that I really uh, latched onto, maybe because it's easy to understand, maybe because it makes a lot of sense to me, um, is something called the red list and declare labels. This is something that is um, focused on in the well building standard, which I am uh, an accredited professional in. Um, so the red list, the red list is a list of chemicals that are known to be harmful to humans. I believe there, there are uh, between 800 and 900 different chemicals that are on this red list. They could be harmful to humans either in the production process as you're making that product. So it can be harmful to the workers in the factory. It can be harmful um, when you're putting it together, when you're applying it, um, so it's just, you know, a chemical, maybe off-gassing as you're putting down a, a certain adhesive or a certain substance as you're building, or they can off-gas as, uh, when, when, as the finished product. So as you're sitting in your office, you know, you might get some off-gassing from the chair you're sitting on, and that could um, hold these red list chemicals. So there are, I believe there's 841, don't quote me on that, but it's, it's darn close to 841. Uh, different chemicals on the red list that are known to, you know, be harmful to the human body, uh, to different systems, uh, depending on what the chemical is. So the idea is, hey, uh, let's use products that don't use these chemicals. 
So uh, from there, we came out with something called a declare label. So uh, declare is a wonderful uh, type of system where that you get a, a certain label. Essentially, it's very similar to um, the label on the side of your cereal box or the label on the side of anything you eat. It says, hey, here's what's in, here's what's, here's the ingredients of this, number one. Here's all this other information about what you're about to put in your body. So a declare label will state every uh, chemical substance, whatever they use, every, every ingredient that we use to build that product. Um, and so we'll, boom, here you go. Here's all the, here's all the stuff we use to build this product. Um, and then with the declare label, there are three options at the very bottom. It can be red list free. That means, hey, we're not using any red list products or chemicals in the making of this product. Two, it can be red list compliant. And that can say, hey, we, that means we use some of the red list chemicals, but they're under a certain threshold. So, you know, they're, they're minimal. They're there, but they're minimal. Um, and then the third option is uh, just plain old declare label says, hey, yeah, we're using red list chemicals, but at least, at least we're telling. So something like a declare label is awesome because it gives, to me, it gives a true transparency of what, of what anyone is using to build a product for you. Dan, I love the, 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 the conversation surrounding transparency, right? And, and red list and declare labels. And for some people watching this, that might be the first time they've even heard of something about that, like that. But why, why are, other than the fact that, you know, chemicals and this exposure, why should the facility professional or the, the building occupant care? Give us kind of a broader overview. What if the chair you're sitting on is using a red list chemical and that's getting into your skin, into your body, and you don't know it? Uh, it's, it could be, I mean, it could be cancer causing. It could be, um, you know, it, it can disrupt your system in, so, in thousands of different ways. Uh, based on what it is and based on how that individual body reacts. So we're really more talking about, you know, is the environment that you go to work in, is that healthy for you? Is that good for your body? Uh, and, and really, we're just talking about in, you know, on, in, a, in a physical sense, you know, is, 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 you know, the mouse you use at work by touching this thing for six, eight hours a day as you're working around, you know, is this thing good for your body? Like, or is this leech, is it leaching some sort of chemical into your hand? Um, frankly, if, I think that's why it should be important to building occupants as far as uh, facilities specifiers. They're going to be, you know, our specifiers who are choosing the different finishes in our buildings. They're our first line of defense. They're the ones who can say, hey, um, let's not use that because that's dangerous. You know, Brian, a perfect example is I bet if you uh, ask your parents, because I know my parents uh, said the same thing. Ask your parents if they played with, mer with mercury when they were a kid. Because they all did. Because it's cool, right? It's fun. You can, you know, mess around with it. Doesn't split. Yeah, but mercury to the human body is really bad. That's why we don't play with mercury anymore. Um, and it wasn't until that information came out and people started spreading that information. Said, "Hey, uh, don't break your thermometer and play with the mercury inside." No, that's really good. I mean, I think in our conversation today, just about carpet, like we've explored just about like everything that you can from its actual poor performance to. Uh, it's health and wellness benefits. So Dan, listen, full answers today, man. And I appreciate you uh, exploring the great indoors with us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I'd love to come back. If you ever want to have me again, I'm very chatty <laughs> as, you can, as you can obviously see. Yes, definitely. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. 
This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.